Our trouble, no matter what it is, no matter how minor, can consume us. And it's big enough to take space in our lives. So when we talk about a psalm of, for times of trouble, I realize and recognize that I'm speaking to people who are in various places. There are some of you who are coming here this morning with slivers. You have slivers in your lives. Perhaps you uh, come here this morning having had a bad morning with your children or with your parents, and you're feeling a little yuck about that. And that's something that's, that's big, but it's probably not in the huge picture something that's going to take a long time to reconcile. Some of you come with a little bit bigger things. Some of you come with deep pains. You come with cancer as a big part of your story. You come with death and mourning and loss as a big part of your story. Some of you come with enormously fractured relationships that consume everything. You can't even actually hear me speak without thinking of that pain. And all of that is trouble. How do we navigate that? How do we work that through and think about this trouble? In the Psalms, we have all these Psalms that speak to our trouble. In fact, if you look at the bottom of your outline there in the worship folder, you'll see the number of Psalms that you and I can go to to be reminded of God speaking to us in times of trouble is pretty significant. There's 20 psalms there plus. And there's certainly more in the psalms. And my psalm for times of trouble. This is a psalm for times of lament. This is a psalm for times of worship. To be reminded of those things so you can go back to them. Trouble is certainly a recurring theme in the psalms. And Psalm 118 gives us an, a roadmap in some ways how to walk through that using the soul language that God has given us. We'll begin at verse 1, and we'll read the first four verses. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say, his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his love endures forever. Now, this psalm is not a psalm that we know who to attribute to. A lot of psalms are attributed to David. Some are about Asaph. There's different people who have been a part of writing the psalms. We don't know who wrote this one. In a couple of verses, we'll find out what their trouble is, and it is significant. It is a big thing in their lives. It's a big thing not only in their lives, but the lives of people around them. And this song that the singer is singing is a song that starts in the exact right place to think about trouble. You see, right away, instead of naming and saying, oh God, save me. Oh God, fix this. Oh God, I'm hurting. The psalm begins with acknowledging how good God is, so much so that it says four times. And when something is repeated in the text is like that, you need to take notice. His love endures forever. His love endures forever. His love endures forever. The song is actually saying, he's been real to me in the past. He's been present with me in the past. So no matter what I'm in now, I know that for the future too. He will always be who he was in the past. And I think about this for me. Because I have trouble too. You have trouble too. But how many of us in our trouble know that God has been good to us in the past? 
And completely separate things, right? God has been good. He's been amazing. In fact, we can experience and name his love, love spoken to us in so many different ways. The problem is oftentimes that when we hit a crisis, when we hit trouble, it's like we have this amnesia and we forget all that. We forget that God is who God has always been. God of love, God of presence, God of encouragement. And the psalmist here is saying, no, we start that process by acknowledging right from the beginning that God is present, God has been faithful, God has been good, and his love endures forever. But the psalm continues, and we learn more about the trouble that this person is in. Verse 5. When hard-pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All the nations surround me, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They surrounded me on every side, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They swarmed around me like bees, but they were consumed as quickly as burning thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them down. I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. Now we find out the trouble. The trouble is the enemies. The enemy is on every side. Now, again, we don't know who this is. Is it a king? Is it a ruler? Is it a general? But we can certainly picture a person in Israel, Israel being this God's chosen people, but surrounded by people who did not profess the name of God, enemies of God, enemies of the people of God. And this person is reflecting on the fact that these enemies are all around and they are certainly pressing upon this person. They are, they are people who can... Show violence, maybe even enslave them. But God is present and God makes himself known. Now to combat their fear, combat the enemy, right away we see some things that this particular singer names. Look again at verse 5 and 6. 5 and 6 say this. When hard pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? From the beginning, they named the truth of the greatness of God. So we haven't even heard what the trouble is. We don't even know that who the enemies are or where they're coming from. But we do know because the psalmist is named the greatness of God. So they enter into this idea of trouble pressing on from every side that God is great his love endures forever, and he's been faithful in the past. I can trust in him in the future. And then we also hear in verses 8 and 9 these words. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Which is a truth we all know, right? There is nothing else on this planet that can do what God, did, God does to save us from trouble so we're going to believe that. Do we believe that? Do we live into that? Let me tell you that I don't sometimes. Um, 
If you know anything about the Augersmith family, you know the last, five, or the last year has been tough to be a car in the Algersma house. In the last year, we have totaled two cars. And I lament to say, I just found out this week that Ted Gostra's truck that he had for 20 years, which he took care of and then sold to me one year ago, I totaled in an accident two weeks ago. And I just found out on Thursday that it was totaled. And so this truck that he took great care of and was his baby for a long time, he gave to his pastor and I destroyed it and I feel horrible about it. Let me tell you what happened in the accident. I was driving to soccer practice, actually, and Harry was in the truck with me. Troy wasn't. He was sick that day, but Harry was. Not far from my house, I get into this wreck where somebody T-bones me, ran a, ran a stop sign, hits the side of the truck, turns me around 180 degrees. You know what happened when I got out of that truck? You know what I did? I got mad. Praise be to God, I didn't say anything that I regret, but what I, didn't, what I did say that I don't regret, I said very loudly. And then I did what we all do. I called 911, told them what was happening, sent the police. And then I called my wife and made sure that she knew that I was okay. I called Harry's mom, made sure that she knew that he was okay. Then I talked to the police officer when he came to give him the police report. And then I drove home and I got on the phone with my insurance company. And I spent a lot of time thinking that night about what I was going to do with this truck and how I was going to navigate all of that. And then when Kristen and I got into bed, you know what I did? Six hours after my trouble began, I prayed. Because Scott can take care of it. Scott can call the police. Scott can figure it out with the insurance company. Scott can figure out the plan with the car and the truck or all that stuff. I can figure it out. I can take care of myself. I put my trust in me. Oftentimes. We say we don't. We can't, don't put our, we don't put our trust in princes. We don't put our trust in government. We don't put our trust in, in money. We don't, sometimes the big problem that we have is whether or not we think we're the ones in control. Do we put our trust in ourselves? And I can tell you right now, I do. I do. I lean hard on myself. It takes me six hours to come to the place where I say, Lord, I'm having trouble. Your love endures. Will you be faithful? Come meet me, Lord. Another thing we highlight here in this section of the text is the fact that there are enemies, right? You see the enemies of the singer of, in the song. We see enemies on every side, right? And actually, if you read the Psalms, you're going to read it over and over again. The enemies that are hard-pressing the person who is singing. I have a question for you. Who are your enemies? Can you name any? Who can name an enemy that they have? A couple of people, all right, not many. Most of us can't name an enemy. I actually think I can. You know who's an enemy of mine? Me. Anyone else have that enemy? You want to do the good things in life. You want to live in obedience to God. You want to live faithfully, except there's this sinful nature inside you that consumes you. Is that your enemy sometimes? 
So when we read in the Psalms, this enemy that presses us, this enemy that surrounds us, oftentimes for us to think about that enemy, not in physical terms, but in the truth terms that we understand. I know that's my enemy. You know who's another enemy? Cancer. Cancer is an enemy. I hate cancer. I hate it. I see what it does. I see who it consumes. I see the lives taken. I see the pain that it brings. Yeah, I see the, stro- the strength and the blessing that can come from going through stuff, but I see the pain and I hate cancer. You know what else is an enemy of mine? Materialism. Why? Because it works. It works on me. It works on me in that I get consumed by stuff. I get consumed in making sure that I'm comfortable. I get consumed in making sure I have a nice fence in my backyard. I get consumed by the stuff of life. You know what else is an enemy? Is busyness. Anyone else have that enemy? Busyness stops you from walking with God. Busyness consumes your time and your energy so much that you don't have spaces and places to be in deep, intimate relationship with God. When we see in the text that there are enemies, for us to think, wait, I do have some that I can name. Sometimes they're my own sin. Sometimes they're my own busyness. Sometimes it's materials. It can be your own addiction. It can be whatever it is. For you to live in naming that enemy and allowing God to meet you in that trouble. And we see as we continue to read more what the psalm, what the singer's sort of plan is or what it is that is ahead for them. Verses 15 through 19 say this. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's Right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die but live and will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open for me the gates of righteous, of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. Now these verses, verse 15 through 19, are actually a little unique here in the text because they're not just a part of the bigger song that is the psalm. They're actually a specific song. A song that you would sing at a certain time. It's actually a song, it's called a song of ascent. Here's what it is. A song of ascent is the sort of song that you would sing when you were on your way to the temple to worship. Remember, the temple is a mount, the temple mount. It was a hill that you would climb in order to go to the temple and worship God. And a song or a psalm of ascent was the sort of psalm that you would sing on your way up to the temple to prepare your heart for meeting God. And this person or this group of people that is going with this person are singing this song of ascent and saying, God, you have rescued us. God, you have been faithful. We messed up along the way, but you never did because you're God. And you always, always, always take care of us. Because you've taken care of us, now is the time for worship. And then we get this shift. The shift in verse 20. And it continues on through verse 24. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. See, a song of ascent. Now they've arrived. They're there. They're at the temple. Then we get this next shift. I will give you thanks. You see it? Before that, it was third person. God God is separate. 
I will sing of the Lord. I will sing to the Lord. But now it's, I will sing to you. Second person. The speaker is personally engaging with a God who has shown him salvation. The, the person has arrived, in a sense, walked through the doors of church, and now instead of worship being about what's going to happen, it's worship to God personally. You have been good. And you'll notice what happens next. You better be familiar, and if it's not, I hope it gets to be now. Verse 22. Does verse 22 look familiar? Why? Who's it about? Can you say that as loud as you possibly can? Jesus. Jesus. Hold on here. Psalms is in the Old Testament. All right? Jesus is New Testament guy. Unless Jesus has been present since the very beginning. Because he has. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now, does this person who's singing the song on the ascent, when they get to the temple and they get into the gates, do they understand what they're saying when they say the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? Do they know? The answer is no. They can't know. Why? Because Jesus is 400 pages later. There's no way. But they're still singing salvation. They're still giving praise to God because God has been faithful in saving them from their enemies. And they're willing to give everything. Go to the temple. Give God praise. Speak to him personally. Acknowledge his faithfulness in the past and trust it for the future. And yet they don't even know Jesus. Who here has known Jesus? You know Jesus? You know Jesus. How much more have you been given? This person's been saved from enemies. This person has had a reprieve from being enslaved physically. This person has been saved from a, a battle that might kill others. You've been saved from an eternity of separation from God. You and I have been saved, given the salvation of a purposeful life. We have been given the salvation of hope of giftedness, of life in abundance. This person has a lot to give God praise for. How much more do we have to give God praise for? How much more trouble have we been saved from? Perhaps we need to begin to write more psalms in our lives. Because we know the salvation of our Lord Jesus Christ. We understand the hope that he has offered to us. A hope that is eternal. A hope that is a sign of his faithfulness in the past. And a sign of his faithfulness in the future. And we will live into that hope. Verse 20 continues the story. Sorry. Verse 25. We finish this. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Again, the prayer where the song and the prayer come together. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God and he has made his light shine on us. With bows in hand join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. Does that sound familiar to anybody? With bows in hand, maybe a little bit about the 
triumphal entry. So there's some stuff going on, making a lot of connections with Jesus. You are my God and I will praise you. You are my God and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. The psalmist closes with a psalm of praise, including the last verse, which is simply an echo of the first four verses. God, you have been faithful in the past. You will be faithful in the future. I have trouble, and my trouble comes from my enemies which surround me. But in the midst of that, I know, I know that nothing else can save me except you. I know that you have been good, and you will continue to be good. And so I will go up to your house and give you praise. And when I get in to your house, when I get with your people, when I get into your presence, I will make that personal and sing praises to you and lift your name up. Especially because I know the salvation of Jesus Christ. Folks, if that's not a roadmap for navigating trouble, I don't know what is. Now, how many of you come into this room with trouble? How many of you come in with a sliver or a cold or cancer, the levels of trouble, the different places, all of us do. You all have something. And for us to navigate what is real trouble in our lives, knowing and acknowledging the love of God, and knowing and acknowledging the faithfulness of God, knowing and acknowledging that he will be with us, that he will never forsake us, that he will never ever let us go. And in Jesus Christ, no matter what it is, he has shown us victory. I'm not trying to discount this. I'm not trying to discount cancer. I'm not trying to discount the fact that there are some of you who are mourning here because someone has died in your life whom you love. I'm not trying to discount the fact that there are people in this room who have broken relationships that consume them, that some of you weep yourselves to sleep at night, that there are people in this room who have great pain that is deep. But the salvation of Jesus Christ is greater than that pain. Do we believe that? Do we believe that? Really? Do we believe that? That's the hard part, right? It's the hard part of taking that big thing that consumes us and saying, God, you are greater than this pain that I have. But our psalm this morning gives us a roadmap for us to live into that. Trust him no matter what our circumstances are. For some of you, you know that the uh, McGills, Mark, just put your hand up over there, or Marky. Marky, put your hand up, buddy. Awesome, that's Marky McGill. Everyone say, hi, Marky. Say, go blue, Marky. Go blue. (laughs) Marky, he's an Ohio State fan, so I say go blue to him all the time. Marky, for the last two months, has had to navigate some difficult stuff. A little while ago, and you'll see the video on this um, in the week ahead. We couldn't quite complete it in time. That's unfortunate, but we'll release it this week, and you'll see Mark and Diana's testimony of what has happened over the last several months. Marky got an ear infection several months ago. And like your kids get ear infections, you take drops or antibiotics, and hopefully they get fixed in a few days. Marky's didn't. And it was left ear. And what happened was eventually the infection got so great that it pushed his ear forward a little bit. Swelling was so great that they had to, it's pretty significant, got to go check it out. Find out the the infection has gotten into the bone. So they they have to go, obviously, to the hospital. Marky gets admitted. Redlands Community first and eventually Loma Linda 
medical center. They're going to have to do surgery. You can see, you know, I don't know if Marky will let you, but he has a little scar right behind his ear where they've had to open him up. And they had to open him up, and of course, there's fear, right? Marky had hearing loss before the surgery. It was impacted pretty significantly. And of course, you're wondering, is the hearing going to come back? And it's in the bone, it's in the skull, so they got to take part of that out. Fear. Prayer became a big part of the story. It's been a part of the lives of the McGills forever, and they lived into that. Now, if you don't know Marky, and I know Marky, Marky's been in our home, and we used to be neighbors, and we spent a lot of time with Marky. Marky, when he prays, he prays, right? I mean, the kid just, he, I don't necessarily always know what he's praying for. I can't understand, but God knows, and God is listening, and Marky gives it to him. So they're in the room getting ready for surgery so that Marky can have a portion of his skull removed with the infection in it. And Mark and Diana are talking to the the physician. Marky's on the the, the gurney, and they're going to wheel him out going to surgery. Mark and Diana come back, and what's happening? Marky's praying. He's praying with all the techs surrounding him all the nurses surrounding him, all the people who are involved. And here's Marky praying. Why? Marky's got some trouble. And when you got some trouble, you go to the one who takes care of trouble. I took this seminary-trained, lifelong follower of Jesus six hours to go from accident to praying. It took Marky a split second. I have a lot to learn from that kid. He shows all of us that when we walk through the challenges, minor ones, the surgical ones, the relational ones, the financial ones, the employment ones, ones with kids, ones with parents, ones with coworkers, ones with spouses, whatever it is that we walk through, no matter what our trouble is, for us to pray long and hard, for us to speak the soul language of God. Your love endures forever, and, oh God, and I will trust in you for the future that you have given me. You've been good in the past, you will be good in the future, and there is no one on heaven or on earth but you who can take care of the trouble that I have. Friends, Marky's taught us something. That's how we pray. That's when we pray. And if we pray when we got trouble and all of us got it, that means we're praying all the time. Would you pray with me now? Living God, hope of the world in Jesus Christ, you meet us in our trouble. If it's a sliver of life or a cancer. If it is something that affects all of us, or simply apart, you are present in our trouble and you make your presence known. You make our presence known in Jesus Christ, the salvation that assures us of an eternity forever with you. We can trust in that no matter what our trouble is now, that that is the end of the story. But even as we navigate what is here now, we understand that you are greater than it. Your love is greater, your grace is greater. 
You have shown us in the past your greatness and you will show us in the future so we can live into that now. Lord, may our soul language then speak these words to you. Your love endures forever. Your love endures forever. Your love endures forever. In Christ we pray, amen.